0: This is a Messianic study of the Book of Romans. It's given in a Midrashic setting, which is audience participation. It was given during the months of June through August 2008. The discussion leader is John Behrens. He's pastor of Restoration Messianic Fellowship. You can reach our website at www.crimsonthread.com. There you can find this study in its entirety as well as other resources for your messianic study of the scriptures. This discussion has been edited and a number of the comments have been either truncated or removed for clarity and continuity. Verse 8 in Romans 10, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. And, and God says the same thing in Deuteronomy. Moses says the same thing. We just went through that. That if you don't have a relationship with God, it doesn't matter what you do. Because if you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Cool. Put
1: a period there. Huh? Yeah. You will be saved, period.
0: Yes. Yes, I agree. He's going to go. He's going to go on. However, and eluc- elucidate another method of salvation in a future in a few verses here. For the heart, with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. And it, you notice know, it's a two-part thing. You can believe whatever you want, but if it doesn't ever translate into action, it doesn't do you any good. So your belief has to translate into action in order to be complete, and that's what James says when he says, "Faith without works is dead." Same message. Okay different context but same message verse 11 for the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved whoa that's a different passage that's from Joel chapter 2 okay that's Old Testament and, the, and, and in Joel Everyone who calls on the name of Yehovah will be saved. Okay? So Paul has just said two different things in a paragraph, but they both mean the same thing because he says that it is the same Lord. Regardless of whether you know him as Yehovah or you know him as Yahshua, it is the same being. And establishing a relationship with him is what brings you to salvation. Am I saying that so it's clear? All I'm doing is just just reading the text. Okay, I'm not not doing anything weird, I don't think. If anybody thinks I am, let me know. Um, 14. But how are they to call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So what he's saying here is... Abraham, remember we started off the hour with Abraham came to faith in God through an, uh, uh, an encounter with him. Or at least that's what the Bible says. You know, however, How he figured it out and how he came to that encounter, we don't know. But God said to Abraham, you, pick up your kit and get out of Ur. So he had an encounter with God that moved him to Haran, and then and he had a number of other encounters. And what Paul is saying is... Absent an encounter with the living God in person, which I am sure lots of people have, the other way that you get saved is if somebody tells you about it and you believe it. So all those Gentiles who are coming out of paganism and into whatever they're coming into at that point, whether you call it Christianity or uh, Messianic Judaism, all those people heard the word. That's why God planted synagogues all over the Middle East. And you have synagogues all over the Mediterranean. That's what the dispersion did. And so you have Jews all over the place expositing the word of God and Gentiles heard it and believed. And in their belief they came to God and became what we know as Christians. They did not all, however, become Jews. As in ethnic judah jews verse 15 and how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news but they have not all obeyed the all, all obeyed the gospel for isaiah says lord who has believed what he has heard from us so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of messiah but i ask have they not heard who's they have they not heard who is they Like an Egyptian. Who who are they? No. Jews. Jews. Have they not heard? And the reason I say that is because what we're now going to do is go into Isaiah, and what he's going to demonstrate from Isaiah is that Israel did, in fact, hear the gospel, and they didn't do it. They did not obey the gospel. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the earth, But I asked, did Israel not understand? So this is, they is Israel. Okay. First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So what he's saying is the Jews got the gospel, okay? And they got it at Sinai. And unfortunately, they didn't obey it. Now, one of the things, and and, and it's it's important that I will not make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. One of the things that's, the purposes of this letter is Paul is trying to head off the Sunday church. Now, the reason I say that is go to any Sunday church and take a black hat, curly-cued, orthodox Jew into that church and say, aren't you jealous that we've got Jesus and you don't? And he'll look at you like you got bacon breath. He has no jealousy whatsoever of Christianity. He has a relationship with God the Father. And it is a satisfying relationship, and it is a deep relationship, and it is every bit as personal as your relationship is with Yeshua. So you walk in and you see these people who are eating spiral sliced ham on Easter Sunday, who are not living modestly, who are not obeying any of the commands of the Torah, and he sees no reason whatsoever to be jealous of what you have. you can't even do shabbat on the right day so there's no jealousy among the jews for the sunday church and the reason that there is no dealt jealousy is because they are lawless sunday church. the sunday church is lawless and they're aggressively lawless and what paul is heading off here in all of this is the, the point of the letter is yeah you Gentiles have been saved. Yeah, you talk with tongues. Yeah, you walk with the Holy Spirit. But your behavior is such that you are messing up the gospel of Messiah among the Jews. Okay? And that's what the business with the weak and the strong that starts in verse in chapter 14 is all about. What he's saying is, yeah, you guys got faith in Jesus, really cool. But your behavior is such that you are not facilitating God's plan of making the Jews jealous because they look at you and they don't see anything to be jealous of. And that's going on back in the synagogues in Rome. And so the the seeds of the Sunday church as we know it are, are being spoken against right here. And it's ironic that the Sunday church has taken that and twisted it around to make it Anti-Jewish. Huh? It is not new at all. That's exactly right. There is nothing new here. Okay? All right. Onward. Chapter 11. I asked them, has God, and, and, and again, understand that he's talking here to Gentiles about Jews who are not messianic, okay, and and he's talking to Gentiles, and what he's going to say to them now is, hey, you guys better buck up, because your behavior is such that you are not only not making the Jews jealous, but if you don't watch out, your olive branch is going to get cut off, and he's going to graft the original ones back in. So this is very, yeah.
2: Before you get on to 11 here, i in go back into, into 10 here. Sure. I, I, I understand over the last couple of weeks the scriptural buildup dealing with righteousness and faith and faith being believing and putting that into action and all that. And that seems absolutely consistent throughout. But we get to uh, chapter 10, verse 8, okay. and it says right at the end there, it says, uh, pick it up here. The word of faith which we preach that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Right. With the heart. Okay. That's still all consistent. We're still talking about we're still talking about believing unto righteousness. We're still, and now we're talking about um, um, being saved uh, being saved through faith. So it's consistent the question is because we just because we it seemed like we went over this really fast what is the significance then of inserting the lord jesus in here and why would he have had to die if that same believing unto faith and i'm talking about the exact same believing unto faith was already available then why put him through that Good question. Yeah. <coughs> <coughs> and, was I he, and was he insane for going through it if he didn't have to?
0: did have to. And I didn't Yeah, yeah he, he absolutely did have to. Do you want to make a comment, Brian? Personally, I think he had done cross, period, because yep. none of us are going to make it otherwise. Right. Abraham included. Right. Um, but that is... I came
1: from the lost sheep of the house of Israel.
0: And God is fairly consistent throughout the scriptures and his terminology. Yeah, I I also don't agree with that uh, interpretation. It didn't make it on the tape. There was a thought that the reason Messiah had to die was to save the Jews. It's not true. He had to die to save all of us. And that was what we were talking back when we're talking about Adam back in chapters 5 and 6, when, we, when, when Adam brought death into the world, okay, and when he brought death into, his, into the world, Paul says that all of the children of Adam thereafter died, even though some of them may not have committed the sin that Adam committed, or anything at all for that matter, it doesn't matter. Simply by being born as a child of Adam, you are now subject to earthly death. And that just goes with the genes now. And so, what had to happen was the price, in order for Adam to be resurrected, which I believe he will be, in order for that to happen, so he doesn't stay dead, the price for his sin has to be paid. And he is not the only. Restitution that Adam can make for his own sin is his own death, and there's none, no reason why he should be resurrected. You, you sinned, you died, done, finished. Pat him on the face with a shovel. Okay? If, however, you want to be resurrected to eternal life, then that sin has got to be paid for and it has got to be covered in blood. And the only one who is able to pay for that sin and cover it in blood is A, a son of Adam and B, one who is without sin an innocent victim that's what the whole sacrificial system talks about so what you have to have then is the blood of an innocent victim who is also a man shed and sprinkled on the altar in heaven of which the one on earth is a copy and that's Hebrews by the way and let me, let me finish the thought, and then you, then you can go. So what happens is Messiah comes, is born of a woman, which means that he is human. He is born with the seed of the Father, which means that he's divine. He lives without sin and is not born with Adam's sin. Because Adam's sin comes through the Father. So his father is not Adam. His father is God. His mother is Eve. So he's fully human, and he is also fully divine. He's also innocent. He then gives himself up, sheds his blood, and if you read Hebrews, he then takes that blood and goes into the Holy of Holies in heaven and casts that blood on the altar. So would it then then be your,
2: your premise then that what Christ accomplished by paying the price for all mankind, basically being born of the corruptible seed of Adam. Okay. All mankind. Not much. Right. Right. He, he paid the price for for that because he's the only one that could because he was born of incorruptible seed. Yeah. That 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 what he accomplished then for everyone is resurrection. Even though it would still be possible. To be saved. See, here, here's, here's, here's what I'm missing here. We're, we're seeing that that righteousness, I mean, in all this buildup, and I, I think you did a great job coming all the way from the Old Testament with that. All this righteousness, people are saved by faith. Okay, people are saved by faith. They're saved by faith, they're saved by faith. And now Christ comes along and he dies and God raised him from the dead. Uh, it says if we believe on that, then thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with mouth confession is made unto salvation. What additional thing did his death then accomplish if they were already able to be saved by God?
0: No, they were not. Thank you. Okay, I understand your question now. The, the question is, if faith is sufficient to save you, why then does it also take the atoning blood of Yeshua? That's the, question. the reason that faith can save you is because the debt has been paid if the debt has not been paid your faith cannot save you
2: so God in his foreknowledge knowing that the debt would be paid made um, salvation through mm-hmm. faith available even before the act of Christ
1: yes can, can I quickly say another thing that, that That took place, Christ's death and atonement took place at a moment in time. Human beings live in time. God does not. Christ's salvation is therefore available to all things in the past, to all things in the future, because it exists outside of time. In other words, at the time of Abraham, yes, it physically hadn't happened yet, but because God is outside of time, and Christ's sacrifice is, if you, if you will, outside of time, it, or, it already existed. This is a hard one to wrap your, to wrap, it's a hard one for me to wrap my head around. It will, yeah. But this is the only way that I can see how that works, is when that work was done, it was done, but it was done for, for all time, because that he's, he's divine. He can exist outside of time. We can't even conceive of
0: life. Yeah, let, let me explain it another way to you, uh, Steve. If Christ's sacrifice is not outside of time, it doesn't do you any good. Think about it a minute. Let's say that you're an Old Testament Israelite, and you've done a sin. So you tuck your sheep under your arm, and you truck up to the the sacrifice, and you sacrifice this thing for the sin that you have done. Now, would it be acceptable for you to say, hmm, I got some heavy sinning I'm going to do next week but my daytimer is free today so I'm going to go up ahead and, and do my sacrifice now and we'll do the sacrifice and then I can do my sinning next week and it's all covered would that be acceptable? Of course not. All of the sins that you have committed are ex post facto the death of Christ so really the only people that Christ's death can cover are the people before his sacrifice. In other words, he covers David, he covers Adam, he covers Solomon, he covers all those people because their sins are in the past. Their sins are known. So then the blood of Christ covers those sins because they're known. But you haven't sinned yet. How does it work for you? The only way it works is if it's done outside of time. You're,
2: you're, you're thinking in a very
0: way. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead and, and close here and we'll pick up 11 next time. Any other questions? We've got a couple minutes.